welcome to another episode of Failure Friday, where we talk to my friends, my clients, my colleagues, and sometimes now even complete strangers about how failure has shaped them professionally, personally, how it's made them better, because I'm real sick of seeing everyone's perfect lives on Instagram, and we all know perfection is a lie. And today we have an old friend, sorry, I used the word old, I should have phrased it better. Miss Colleen Thomas. She is a wife, mom, author, director of a data and strategy at a Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley STEM education nonprofit organization. And I have to explain that because that's a mouthful. <laughs> She's an author of a beautiful book called A Beautiful Skin, a children's book about overcoming racism. It is adorable. Aww. She is the first one of my friends to write a children's book that I enjoy. And I have gifted it to at least two people. Oh, it's just really well, well written. And I hope we take some time to talk about it at some point. But why don't you take a moment and describe to listeners who you are, who you paint yourself to the outside world to be? That's a good question. So um, I think we often characterize ourselves by everybody around us. I'm always used to saying I'm a wife. Um, I'm a mom of three kids and I don't often yeah, talk you about led like, with those two things. I mean, that's just who I am as a person is everybody around me. So, um, but I am also a hard worker. I've worked at a, um, education nonprofit out in Silicon Valley for the past nine years now, um, where I lead their data and strategy. So what does that mean? Um, so we do nonprofit education for students in that area. So it's where Google, Facebook, Apple, all these big tech companies are, but the students in that area aren't getting those STEM jobs. Um, so we're really trying to build the workforce, um, enable those students to get equal opportunity and access um, to education so they can get these careers. So I take all of our data and analyze it and report on it so we can inform our strategy and increase our impact. Um, so that's what I do at that nonprofit. And on the side, I, I did write a book, which you touched upon, which was inspired by my children because most of my time is really just spent being a mom and a wife. So that's why I lead with those two. You work full time and you still spend most of your time as a mom and a wife? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a full time job. <laughs> it's I definitely hard to... don't feel like I'm a full time mom and wife. I mean, like, I... obviously, in the sense, you're always those things, but I definitely like maybe 50 50. I think the big difference too is I work from my home and I've worked out of my home since before COVID and everybody went remote. I've worked out of my home for six years. So even though we have help with the kids while I'm working, like I'm never away from my kids. Um, you know, I can be on meetings all day, but there's still mom in the background or mom, you know, questioning. So um, I think because of that, it's being a mom, definitely. Can we talk about that for a second? Like how, okay, <laughs> when COVID happens, and I had to work from home. It lasted for about a week because I, I'm sure there's a name for it, but I had this phenomenon where I would, I would see, and I love you, Cece. You are the best nanny ever. But I would see Cece, our nanny, taking care of our kids, and I would just get filled with rage. Like, I'm supposed to be doing that. And I could not work from home. Like, do you not get that? Yes and no. Um, I think it took a while for me to find the balance. And so it didn't, we didn't always have help. When I first started, and we'll probably touch upon this later today, when I first started going back to work after having my first child, I didn't have a nanny. I didn't have a sitter. I literally had my baby like on my lap <laughs> as I'm working. And so that that was not healthy and probably- How long did you do that for? 
too long, too long. It was a bad time in my life and that's what we'll talk about today. But it wasn't until, like, I think once I got help, I, I needed it. So like, I didn't even care. You know, you go do, have fun with my kids and I can focus on the computer. And even though the kids were like, why are you always on your computer, mommy? It's, you know, that's mommy's job. And so it, you, I needed the help. I didn't even, I don't even feel guilt because it's worse when your kids want your attention and there's nobody else to give them attention. And you're trying to balance a work, a meeting and your kids. Then I felt the guilt. But when I know somebody's there loving and caring for my child, I'm okay with it because I'll be there when I shut down my computer. Yeah, and that was also because you got to a point where he had to have it. So I guess I never got to that point. It was yeah. just so weird because I remember like I'd be the only one in the office because nobody was coming to work. Everybody was working from home, and I was just like, I have to be here. Like I can't, I can't be there. It's not healthy for me. Yeah, so you're a mom, you're a wife most of the time, and you're an author. So is there a specific event that happened that inspired you? to write the book I always thought it was based off of your work I didn't realize it was based off of your actual your children no no so um you know it was I guess two years ago now um when the height of racial tension in America was you know everywhere and just all the conversations and um I don't know if there was one incident itself that triggered it but I write a lot of poetry and so there was one day that I was just really feeling um helpless um you know my, my children are biracial and somebody had asked me the question about like have I ever had a conversation with my daughter she was three at the time so like the answer was no it wasn't any we don't talk about race or races I mean we talk about skin and differences but in the frame of a three-year-old and so it made me think and I was like well let me go on Amazon and I'll buy some books about you know kids who are mixed race or biracial and I was looking on Amazon and like there were a couple but nothing that quite fit the mold or nothing that I thought was age appropriate enough for a toddler or a young child. Um, and so I was in my feelings one night, not too long after I did my Amazon search and I wrote this poem. I never intended to write a book and I had read it to my husband. And my husband's like, you need to publish that. I was like, okay, like kind of, and, and so that's really what happened. Yeah. But then your head goes through all this, you know, a white woman should I publish a book on racism oh and then I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to text you before you came on here I was like I really want to touch on this but yeah. I don't know if it's going to make her uncomfortable and then she's going to ask no. me to take it down so like but that is a point of contention because I've written a book mm -hmm. that addresses racism mainly financial literacy but it also touches on racism I co-authored it, so I wasn't the only person who wrote it, but I did write a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And I always ask, before we published that first book, I asked for a lot of criticism because, you know, you send it to your friends and your family and they give you all the, oh, this is your grandma. She's like, this is great, baby. Yeah. This is just great. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted criticism. Mm -hmm. And the criticism I got back was usually from people of color, like, in so many words, like, why did you write this book? And I was so insecure about it. Like even to this day, like when we get asked to come on shows or we get asked to be featured and my co-author's like, well, why don't you go and do it? I'm like, cause you have to be there. You, cause my, my co-author's black. You have to be there. Like this shouldn't be coming from me. Yeah. And I'm very insecure about it. And I was wondering if you felt that as well and how you dealt with that. Oh, yes. I mean, there were times where like, I, I can't do this. I can't write this book. Um, but I did similar. I had many people of different races, different ages, read my poem, um, you know, people who knew me, people who didn't know me very well, um, people who I knew were gonna tell me the blunt, honest truth. 
Um, and one of the best advice I got was from a really close friend of ours who said, pray about it. All I, all I need to tell you is pray about it. Um, and so I did. And she said, and be ready for whatever might come. Um, and, you know, she was so encouraging, but she said, there's going to be people who aren't going to like it and who are going to question, why are you writing this book? And so that's why um, intentionally, I didn't make the book about myself. I really tried to not, you know, some authors put their picture on it. Like it wasn't about me. It was about my kids. Um, and it is our story. I mean, there's pictures of my husband and I with, you know, my two girls, my son wasn't born at the time yet, um, in the story. And, and so because of that, you know, it was worth the risk because I said, you know, there's kids like my kids who will find comfort in this and will be able to relate to this. And if there's people who don't like it, well, it's not for them. And, and, and that's really what I, what I led with. And did I hear some harsh criticism? Not, you know, some crazy stuff, but I just, you, you can't let it get to you because ultimately there was more praise from different people um, just thanking me for the book. So that's what made it worth it. But it was tough. It's a tough risk to take. It is. And it's definitely an insecurity that, that I have just from, I mean, I don't know how long you've been in interracial relationships, but it's been basically my whole life. And you get a lot of flack predominantly from people of color. Like, why are you dating someone that doesn't look like you? You don't belong. So that kind of bled into when I published this book, but how I talk myself through it on a daily basis is I tell myself, this is needed. It doesn't matter who it comes from. It matters that it's helping an audience that needs it. And yeah. anybody could have written it, you, you wrote it. So put it out there. I mean, you're gonna deny an audience that it, you might deny helping someone because mm -hmm. of your pride or your insecurity. Fuck it, publish it somebody's going to appreciate it. But you're the only other white woman I know who wrote a book about people that don't look like them to help people that don't look like them. So I definitely wanted to touch on that. So thank you for yeah. not being scared to talk about that. Of course, I'm an open book, Kendall. I'm an open book. <laughs> I know, I knew. But, you know, people, you turn on this camera or cameras and you never know what, what's going to come out of people's mouths sometimes. So that probably isn't your failure because it's been a wild success so far, but share with me a major failure that has changed you forever. Sure. So, um, so before coming on this tonight, I was telling Brandy, you know, take care of the kids, you know, I got have an interview with Kendall. He's like, well, what's it for? And so I was telling him it was about failures and he's, I mean, obviously my husband's going to always say, well, what did you ever fail about? What did you know, like, fail that? Like, he's like, when have you ever failed? He goes, I should go on the show. And I was like, well, you can't. That um, was AJ's reaction. He was like, you've never failed at anything. I'm like, bitch. I mean. I've never so, told you about my failures. <laughs> right. And so when I told him what I was going to talk about, he's like, but that wasn't a failure. But to me, it was. At um, the time. Yes. At, at the time, it was. And, and so let me start back with some of the backstory. So it can help paint the picture as to why it was the lowest point in my life. Um, so Brandon and I had gotten married and we knew right away that we wanted to have kids. Um, so we didn't waste any time. Um, and we were very fortunate and blessed to have a really, you know, it was really easy for us to get pregnant. So I was pregnant with my first, um, Mary Kate, she's now five. So this is five years ago. And so we were living in <laughs> crazy, right? We were living in California at the time. He was playing with the Niners. Um, I was, I think four and a half or five months pregnant and he got a call that he was traded to Detroit. 
So he was on a plane six hours later and never <laughs> back to California. So um, California was where we started our, our lives together. It was the first time we moved in together. Um, it was my first, I guess my second career out of college. And, you know, we had great, great family out there. It was just such a great place. I had, you know, where I, I still work there, but I worked in the office, which is much different than working from home. So awesome coworkers who we go and do stuff with. And we had a great, um, you know, other teammates. We'd, we'd hung out with them every single day. So it was just where we fit and where we belong. So he gets traded and I'm super pregnant. So, you know, just traveling across the country, you manage all that. And so fast forward, we're in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I know really nobody. I mean, you meet people on the team, but they're acquaintances. So, you know, you don't really have any close friends. It takes a long time to build relationships and we can have that whole conversation another oh. time. <laughs> um, so fast forward, the season ends. So Mary Kate was born in February, early February. So not too long after the season ends. Um, and so everything about me having my first child to me was just the biggest failure of my life. And it sounds weird to say, I mean, yes, I have a beautiful- It doesn't, you're gonna make me cry. I have it's a beautiful five-year-old daughter, right? I mean, she's beautiful, she's healthy. And you know, so you said, how did you fail at that, right? But everything that I pictured about motherhood just was completely the opposite. And when completely- what did you, Wait, what did you picture about motherhood? So just the whole process. So from the get-go, um, I wanted to deliver naturally. So I went to all these birthing classes to deliver at an alternative birthing center. Well, Mary Kate was breech. Well, you can't deliver a breech baby at an alternative birthing center. Tried everything and you know, she wasn't meant to turn down. So I had to have a C-section. And it's funny because a couple other moms that I know who's had to have a C-section, they also feel like they failed at something or they did something wrong. And so I wasn't that upset about that, even though, you know, that wasn't the plan I wanted. But part of me was like, you know, we're, we're already starting off. This isn't how I pictured it. But everybody tells you, you know, it's, it's not your life anymore, it's your kids. So whatever their plan is, is your now plan. So anyway, so we have a C-section. And so um, just everything about from, you know, the day one in the hospital, <laughs> from the first couple months in her life, like I'm pretty sure I cried every single day of my life like i was miserable um so again we had nobody there family wasn't there we lived 40 minutes from the hospital i remember brandon having to go drive 40 minutes home to let the dog out and i'm by myself in this hospital room with my baby and she's crying and i remember calling the nurses because i can't get up i had a c-section so she comes in and gives me my baby and <laughs> no idea what i'm doing like holding her like trying to calm her She's not calming. And so I called the call button again and asked the nurse to come in. I was like, you know, she's crying. I'm not quite sure what to do. And I just remember the nurse saying, well, you're the mom. You have to figure it out and leave it. Like, oh my bawling. God. Oh, it was like, first time mom. It's like, I am not you don't. Okay. She needs to be fired. That is not what you tell someone. Oh, so I've never had a C-section. What is it? Is there a lot of, obviously there's pain, but is it excruciating pain? Like, what's it feel like compared so to something that? Yeah, so I had two vaginal deliveries, my second and third baby. So being able to compare, it wasn't even the C-section itself, because that's easy. You show up at three o'clock, they give you your meds, they wheel you away, 30 minutes later, your baby's in your arms, great. Like, you don't feel anything then. It's the recovery um, that, to me, was awful. Like, you want to take care of your child, 
but I literally couldn't even sit up. Like I couldn't even get up off the couch. Um, we had to, I remember we, my husband bought a, or he rented at a rental center, a like recliner chair that I could easily get out of because I literally <laughs> couldn't move. I couldn't get out. So when you're trying to like, it's my job now to care for a child and I can't even care for myself. I can't even get up out of bed. I can't even, you know, change it. How do you that bathe? Part that sucked. What was that? How did you bathe? I mean, you, after the first couple of days, you know, you're able to move a little bit better, but just getting up and down was, was what was awful. I mean, once you're up, you can waddle to the shower and do what you have to do, but it was just, you have, oh, I just remember being miserable. It was awful. Um, so that was part of it. Um, just the recovery of the C-section, which people go through it. It's just, people have all different types of birth stories, but to me, I just, I started off kind of you know, this isn't what I imagined. This isn't how it's supposed to go. I'm supposed to be home from the hospital caring for my baby and I can't. So like already I was feeling like inadequate, like I'm not doing the job that I'm supposed to do because I can't take care of myself. So that was part of it. Um, a couple of other factors is here I am in the hospital trying to like figure out how to breastfeed. And like, I took a couple <sighs> breastfeeding classes. <laughs> um, TMI, but by the time I left the hospital. <laughs> Nothing's TMI. Nothing both, both of my nipples were like scabbed over and bloody and swollen. So I will say, new moms, not this, we might have to put a trigger warning on this episode. As someone who delivered two babies naturally, breastfeeding is by far for me worse. Like I would, I would do it again, the natural birth rather than have to breastfeed. Like it's really that, that first, I would, for me, it was like the first two months were you in both times? The first time's worse for sure, but the second time your nipples fight you again, and it they they, just, they get bloody, they get chapped, they scab, but you still gotta feed the baby through your scab. Like I remember, like this might be TMI, but I remember nursing. I think it was Kenny, and my and just crying hysterically because it was so painful, and she was sucking, and then it, she pulled off and she was chewing on something, and it was like literally like this massive scab, my nipple was just bleeding. And yeah. then she had this like scab in her mouth. And she was just like, huh, yeah. she went away. Just like, and I was like, oh my God, this is so disgusting. The things they don't tell you in breastfeeding class. And so that was part Awful. of it. I took all these birthing classes. All, I read all these pregnancy books. I did these breastfeeding classes. Like I did all of this stuff and I still felt like nothing prepared me for what I was going through. Like I did these breastfeeding classes, like I'm doing, I'm making the C, like everything they teach you in the book, but like, there's still some things that you just need to go through or you need to have somebody there to guide you. I didn't have any lactation consultants visit me. You and didn't have a doula? So I actually did at first, but then when I was having a C-section, we just, you know, I wasn't gonna have, you know, an all natural birth. So we were kind of like, well, we don't need you cause I'm having a C-section. And so no, which in retrospect, maybe it would have been Learned yeah. a lot. <laughs> Learned a lot say, after the first one. If I can recommend anything to anyone, even if you're not having it, I think there's a common misconception that unless you're having a natural birth, I mean, even just like a natural one without an epidural, you don't need a doula. You need a doula. One, you don't know what the hell you're doing. No. Your husband definitely doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And the, the doula is like the third party who's just going to tell you, they're going to help you with breastfeeding and they're going to tell you the... The whiz, they're not gonna faint or pass out or say some stupid shit like your husband's gonna do. They're gonna yeah. be the word of wisdom in the background, like, okay, 
breathe, push. I'm gonna, like, my doula did everything. Highly recommend you get a doula. Sorry, just wanted to throw that out there. No, no, that's super important because I think that's also something that not a lot of people even know about. Um, yeah. It's, it's, there's so many resources out there that unless you know or look for them, you don't even know, you know, there's so many people there. Like, I didn't know I should call a lactation consultant while I'm in the do- while I'm in the hospital. She came like my second or third day. And by then I'm already like, my nipples have already fallen off. And she's like, oh, like you're doing something wrong. Like, no shit. Like no clearly shit. We're, we're not doing something right here. Well, cause they say, don't use a passy, right? And so I was the pacifier, which is why I got to that state. Anyway, so we go home and I'm like, well, you have to breastfeed. So I'm going to power through and everybody's like, yo, you can do it. You know, just, I literally remember like, like biting down onto something. Cause I was in so much pain every time I would feed her and just same thing, just crying. And I'm like, this isn't right. And finally I got mastitis. So like day five home and I'm like fever and like something's not right here. So, um, again, a point of failure is just the whole breastfeeding journey. It was. It's funny how my brain like makes me forget all of that. Well, it's probably like, good because it, it was, <laughs> that was so traumatic. Like I'm reliving it right now. Like my nipples are hurting right now. Like they're pulsating. <laughs> like, yeah, we remember that. Yeah. So it was terrible. Mastitis. I'm so glad I didn't get that. Oh. But what helped a ton when you would get those rocks in there was sunflower lecithin. Yes. Like that mm. saved my ass. Like I yeah. would pop two of those babies every two hours. So mm-hmm. new moms, another fun fact, that was great. Um, I would definitely say, you would say that you had some postpartum depression, right? Oh, yes. So I think- Hardcore. I- Does anyone not have that? Like that's just part of it. So, and I think all of this led to, you know, my body, my hormones, my, you know, the incision, I'm just miserable, no idea what I'm doing. Um, and my mom did come up after they was born and spent a couple of weeks with me. And I just was like a bitch. Like I was not a nice person. And even my, I was just, I didn't want anybody else to hold the baby yet. I was so tired of holding the baby 24 seven. Um, I just would yell at people like I, and that is not me like at all. I was not a nice person to be around. Um, and I cried every day, all day. And, you know, not too long after I had the baby, Brandon has to go back to work or, you know, workouts and stuff. And I just remember like resenting him, like I'm home caring for the child. Like I have a job too, but like, here I am home caring for our baby and you're going to work out at the gym, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, it's his job and he has to, but like, I just remember having so much just resentment. (laughs) Like this isn't fair. Like this isn't what I signed up for. knowing very well that, you know, he has a job and he's going to, you know, has to, has to go and do these things. And my job gives me the flexibility and I can work from home, but even still, I just, it was not a good time. And so before this, I was like, yeah, that was the one time in my life. I think you wanted to divorce me, Brandon. He goes, well, I wouldn't say divorce you. You were just a different person. <laughs> so that's yes. what he told me tonight. He goes, you were a different person. And I was, I was not myself. I completely a hundred percent lost myself. What was the turning point then? Um, so, you know, I will say there was a couple different things that helped pull me through. Um, one thing being in Detroit, I had nobody. 
right? So it's not like I'm, you know, my other births were much different, but I was in a very different place where I had friends and I had family, I had a community to come check on me, bring me meals. There we literally had Brandon's masseuse who was pretty much the only person I knew. Like his masseuse was having her family bring us meals and gifts for me. Like when I think about him, oh my oh, gosh. She was a saint. She was wonderful. Um, so that helped. And she would encourage and walk me through because she had a tough time too with the C-section. And then one of my best friends from San Francisco, she texted me every single day. Um, Cause I was one of the first of my friends and of Brandon's friends to have a child. Um, so I didn't really have anybody to text and go to and ask for advice or, um, you know, teach me. Because we're young. I was 27. You were 27 when you had Mary Kate? Because I was 27, 29, 31 is when I had my babies. I didn't know that. I thought you were young. I thought it was like right after college. No. So we were, it was a couple years out, maybe three years out of college, three or four. Okay. So you guys had time to like. But you were still the first one. That's scary. Yeah. So I was like one of the first to get married, one of the, the first to have babies. Like my friends are just now having kids. Um, and you're the old person, the old woman walking. I yes, I remember that. I'm using this word old, Kendall. I'm not that old. <laughs> we're, I feel like we're definitely breaching on middle age now. Like I'm getting to the point where I see kids do things and I'm like, oh my God, kids these days. I'm like, oh my gosh. I know. I have to scroll so far to get to my birth year. <laughs> Does that not make know. you mad? That's how you and know. You have to do that. Like, yeah. I'm so mad when there's a calendar and you have to like click the date and like go to the, yeah. click the arrows. Yeah, we're getting up there. We're getting up so there. So your turning, your turning point was being around family? So Kids. not necessarily being around family. I was just saying when I was around family, it's different from my other pregnancies. But my turning point was one of my good friends literally texting me every single day, checking in on me. Um, she was the only one I knew who had a child. Um, and then Brandon coming home and saying, here's a number for a counselor, go see her. And so it was like the best time in my week because first I'd get anxiety because I had like a counselor session coming up and I get anxiety because I have to bring the baby with me because we have nobody in Detroit, like no sitters, no family, like no friend, nothing. So I get anxiety because I have to pack this child up in a car by myself. And like your first child's so different, like figure out like what I need to pack. So we'd get ready like two hours before. But then once I was there, like talking to the counselor was the only adult I really had any interaction with at all. So, um, you know, Brandon, when he would come home, but you know, I was just not your husband, but yeah. I was also not like, Hey honey. Like I was like, here, take the baby, you know, like just not, it was not the best. You're mad. Yes. Yeah, so I remember that the counselor helped, um, just talking. Like we literally just talked and she just told me like walking through things like it's okay to not have dinner ready. It's okay to just make a peanut butter sandwich for dinner one night. Like it's okay to not have the laundry done because I think that was a lot of it. Thinking back is not just caring for the child, but caring for the child and the house and the laundry and the dog. And I'm supposed to be this wife and I'm supposed to be this mom and everything you see on social media, you know, people have babies and they're smiling and they're going to the park and they're just living this beautiful life. And we know social media is not true, mm -hmm. but like, that's what I envisioned. I envisioned I was going to be this young mom living life just, and it was the complete opposite. I was just, it was the lowest point in my life and I was miserable. And not that I ever wished that I didn't have Mary Kate at that time, but I just, I just was not a happy person. 
And I am such a happy person normally. Like I am a positive person. Like that's one thing to describe me like I'm always Very positive. positive. Glass is always half full. No, my glass was empty. <laughs> like there was nothing left. So yeah. Did you have any creative outlets? Did that help at all? Because you're very, like, for those of you who don't know Colleen, Colleen has, like, every every year we get a Christmas card, or really every holiday, I feel like we get, we get a card. Christmas? Okay, just Christmas. We get a card, and you flip it open, and it's like a two-page spread, like, po like full-on poem that she's written about the holiday, and, like, it's, it's good. Like, it's like she's good at it. And it takes time. Like, we're not talking like 20 words here. Like, they're like probably 100, 150 word poems about her life, about how the family is doing. Like, it took her time. So it's hard to imagine that you didn't use creativity to get you out of that. I didn't. And what's funny is, like, now we have all of our Christmas cards all hanging up. Like, bring them out at Christmas time and we, we put them up. And that's the one year I never did a Christmas card. Really? I, mm -hmm, like we didn't before we had babies. That's the one year I didn't. And I think I was just so miserable. I don't really think I had creative outlets. I just, I'm trying to think like, what did I do? Cause, cause that is me, you know, I, I like music. I play the piano. I like to write. I didn't do any of that. I just kind of sat and moped, which is probably didn't help. Um, yeah, and then would just look at my body, like, why am I not skinny? Like, why am I dealing with, like, it was just, it was just everything. But that was one, that was my biggest pain point. And I know it sounds so selfish and self-centered, but looking at my body after having a baby, I knew when I got pregnant, I've never had the type of like bounce back. I've always been a thicker, curvy girl. Like I've had stretch marks since high school. Like I knew I wasn't gonna have that like fume body, but like I was not prepared by how pregnant I still looked after I wasn't pregnant anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was rageful in the hospital bathroom when I got up because I was, I was lucky enough to like not tear. Like after I had my baby, I, I got up and I went to the bath. Like I walked over to the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Like it's still. I I literally looked at AJ. I was like, "Do you see this shit?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "It still looks like there's a baby in there." And he yeah. was like, "Yeah, I wasn't." He literally goes, "I wasn't expecting it to look like that either." <laughs> And like, that's just not, I think now, like there's probably Instagrams and stuff like that. Like if you search for it, like yeah, that will post pictures of moms postpartum, but that wasn't what you're reading about in the books. That's not what you're seeing. You no. know, these, I think part of the reason why social media is bad is because family photo shoots have become so popular and everyone just looks so goddamn happy. Like yeah. even after people have a baby, they put on those matching robes mm -hmm. and they have like, they've curled their hair and they have a full face of makeup. Like I was covered in blood. Like, <laughs> like it was like, I just got out of war. Yeah. So, I mean, how I pulled myself out was exercise, mm -hmm. writing and drawing. Mm. I didn't use a counselor. So I wish I, I wish I would have, cause I don't think it would have lasted as long. How long did it take for the counselor bit to kick in? I would say, and she wanted to prescribe medicine. I said, that's one thing, I don't wanna go on medicine. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong against that, if, if that's what, but that wasn't for me. Um, and so I wanna say maybe three months or so, three or four months. Um, cause, cause by then, you know, 
you start to feel more like yourself physically. Like I can start walking again, you know, you can start after a season, you can't work out. I mean, you have a major incision. So, um, I mean, I would go for walks, just waddling around the neighborhood and walk for like, I, I guess I did do that. I would walk for hours on this little, small little neighborhood that we lived in. Um, but yeah, maybe about three months. And then by then we had, I think we went home for like the summer or something. And then I was around family. So, so going back to that, maybe it was part of my family and friends that did help pull me out of it in retrospect. Um, yeah, just leaving. Like when we think about Detroit, like both Brandon and I, like it was the most, the only thing we say good that came out of Detroit was Mary Kate. Otherwise, when we think about like- What was so bad about Detroit? Everything. The give me Everything. real life examples because I have a friend there right now, Chantel, and she says it's pretty cool. Oh yeah, she did go up there. Well, she's probably in a very different place in her life than than <laughs> where we were. Um, I mean, were, you were there during winter. Was it as brutal as people say it is? I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, so to me, no. To Brandon, yes. Especially we didn't live all that close to so like driving in the snow and having to wake up and shovel. Like that was a whole concept that he, you know, had to get used to. It's just the time and the season in our lives and just even Brandon's transi transition from San Francisco to Detroit was like night and day. It was just- Was that his first transition? Yeah, because he was drafted by the Niners. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. and then another layer. Yeah, so then a guy came out of retirement and Brandon was gone the next weekend, so that's a whole nother layer in itself. And he was miserable. Like he was miserable on that team. Like he just, like he wasn't happy. He hated the sport. Like he's, he's, he did not like football. And I probably shouldn't be saying all this about him because I'll listen to this later and be like, why are you talking about that? But it's true. And so that, yeah, but it's true. It, that didn't help either. So he wasn't, he wasn't in a happy place. Like he was in San Francisco or even Jacksonville. He loved Jacksonville, but he wasn't a happy place. I wasn't a happy place. I left all my friends, left all my co- like, We love San Jose. Like San Jose, other than the cost of living, was amazing. It was We loved it. So it was going from that, plus this whole added idea of having a baby and being a mom just sucked <laughs> at first. At first, at first. Your dream. Oh no, it was, it was awful. And I remember feeling guilty for how upset I was. Part of it, going back to breastfeeding is, yeah. There's some psychology, there's some Pavlov dog stuff going on there. When every time you get handed your baby, you have to breastfeed and experience like the excruciating pain and like, mm -hmm. and your baby's not happy because they're hungry. And it's like, why isn't this thing working? It's I'm hungry. Yeah. It's all I can eat. Yeah. You just get conditioned that every time you hold your baby and try to nourish them, that it's the most, and your body starts to react like that. It's the natural consequence of mm -hmm. holding your baby. And it was just, that was terrible and that's why I will say that I never wanted children but my favorite part about just human beings in general is watching first-time moms transition from woman to mom because it's like it's this whole chaotic transition of like beauty but terror and chaos and let down but at the same time a whole new level of your brain opens up that you yeah. couldn't didn't have access to before because you're a mom yeah. i mean it's an incredible experience i'm excited and sorry for everybody who's becoming a mom, a mom for the yeah. first time and you know all the negativity that i'm talking about tonight like it really was a beautiful experience it really was looking back and, well of course looking back and I, I think you you said it exactly right like I think a lot of it was guilt too. Like I just felt guilty for having the feelings. Guilty for 
being sad like and and so that played into the depression um because they're kind of related one and you know one one caused the other or vice versa but that was part of it but then you get over it and then your baby grows and your baby changes in front of your eyes and I mean they all say grow they grow up like that and it's true and then you find yourself wanting another baby again um and so that was my biggest fear with having my second child Layla is am I going to go through this again? And we were in a very different place in our lives. We were here in South Carolina. Um, well, Brandon was not, but that's another story. Um, I was here in South Carolina and I, and I had some sort of a community, like not any good friends, but like I had people, people who cared about me, even neighbors who I barely knew just checking in on me. So it was just different. Um, and that was my biggest fear. And I didn't experience really any of that. Um, had PTSD from breastfeeding, oh, wow. so that didn't happen. Like we didn't breastfeed, but it was like kind of like, well, I'm just not gonna do it. Not gonna let my body go through it. Like I maybe tried it for like a week or two, and I was like, nope, I'm hitting my wall. I'm done, and I walked away. And there wasn't the guilt because I was like, you know what, Mary Kate did formula and she was fine, you know. And and so it was very different experience, um, night and day. And then had my third son just a year ago, and that too i mean didn't go through the depression you know there's still some anxiety you know some stress you know the late nights but nothing like when i first had mary kate it was such a different experience and even with rj i breastfed him for a year and that was like what? the biggest accomplishment of my life like i really it was so something you changed i don't know what for a year so was he easier to latch that's an accomplishment man i mean I don't know if he was any easier or if I just had a different perspective and I'd learned along the way. Like right off the bat, I started using formula too. Cause I was like, my, my, I don't want my nipples to fall off. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna use formula and nurse. And if nursing works, we're gonna do it. And if not, then I'm not. So I didn't put the pressure on myself, but I also supplemented until he was maybe that. two weeks old. And then I was like, cool, we got this down. We don't need formula. So then after two weeks, he was just breastfed. So things that they don't teach That's you. That's great. Better. Mm -hmm. That's great because I think a lot of it, because I, I will say I felt like a failure when I was breastfeeding the first time because it just, you see people who just are so good at it that just whip their tit out at the park and it's just like their baby's just like, oh yeah, great, we're doing this. And then just like, right? I could, it was never like that for me. And I gave it a go for Kenny. I did it for six months and I hated it the entire six months. That's but, awesome. Six months is awesome in itself. That's. But a, the only reason I was doing it was because I felt the pressure to do it because it's, it's what's best for your baby. Breast mm -hmm. is best. I can't tell me how many goddamn times I heard that. And I wanted to punch yeah. every single person in the throat. It's like, yeah, I fucking know it's best. It's why I'm doing it, but I hate it. Yeah. And I hate that I hate it. And I hate that you're telling me that I should love it. Yeah. So with artists, I didn't even put the pressure on myself. And that was a game changer. I was like, fuck what all of you think. I'm going to breastfeed them. And if it sucks again, I'm just going to put them on formula. Yeah. And granted, artist has a lot of shit wrong with him, but I'm not going to say it's from him not being breastfed because that's bullshit. No, no. But there's a lot of guilt. Like there's so much pressure when you're a mom to do everything right. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong. It's really, and a lot of women don't realize they're doing it, yeah. but it's wrong. And that doesn't change. I mean, we, you, social media doesn't help. I mean, just people, it just, that never changes. But when it happens, when you have a newborn and you're hormonal and you're going through all this mentally, physically, psychologically, like it's just, it just, it's just recipe for just a really unhappy situation, which is why I really it's think a recipe that, for depression. Yeah. Yeah.
but so what did this failure teach you about your weaknesses at that time like what were you going into your first child what would you say were some pre-administered so i don't know no, I don't know if it's like an insecurity, but um, one thing is always just the goal to be perfect, right? And, you know, throughout high school, you know, everything, I'm not saying I'm perfect or, or I was perfect, but everything really came easy to me. Everything that I, I every goal I set, I'm gonna do it and I would get it done. Whereas this wasn't coming easy and I was not perfect at it. And it took a long time to figure it out. Um, so I don't know if necessarily that's a weakness, but that is one thing that I learned and opened up my eyes to say like, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do everything right. Um, and it's okay to ask people for help and it's okay to get support and to tell people that you're not okay. And that's one of my biggest things that I learned from that time is it's okay to go to strangers, like a counselor or your friends or your family to say, listen, I'm not okay right now. And I need support because it's hard to do. It's so hard to do, but it's, it's so necessary if you're going to care for somebody else. And they always say, you know, being a healthy mom and a happy mom is so vital for being able to care for your child. And being healthy and happy looks different on everyone. That's true. I don't think there's, I don't think it can be measured by some chart. I don't think it can be measured by what you're doing or what you're not doing. It's going to look yeah. different based on your situation. Exactly. I mean, also, right. There's women that are, every woman to some degree is going to go through this, but a lot of them aren't going to have the resources that we had. Mm -hmm. And to those women who maybe don't know anyone that's ever been to a counselor, yeah. use the internet, use Instagram, or there's so much free information on YouTube and Instagram. It's not this, a replacement for a doctor by any means. I'm not saying that, so don't. DM me about that, but you can go on a psychology page and just, even if it's just a quote, like, or like a Bible study, or if you're not religious, there's, there's just so much free resources that if you just Google, you can find. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's something, that's where I started was I would, I started Googling like, what is wrong with me? And that's how I came up, found out that, oh yeah, postpartum is like super normal. Yeah. Almost every woman experiences it in some way or another mm -hmm. and you can reach out and a lot of times the counseling you can get through your insurance if you have it you can get it through the hospital mm -hmm. you, you can if you don't before you even have it before you even know you have it you can tell the hospital hey do you guys have resources about postpartum depression and they're going to give you a list of resources yeah like those things are there for you yeah how has this experience changed the way that you are today as a mom um, so I think it touched upon how it changed me for my, you know, second and third children. It really, I was a different person. I didn't put the pressure on myself. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be perfect and I knew it was going to be messy and we were going to learn. Um, but that definitely changed how those two births and, and, you know, those newborn phase happened. So it was a completely different story with my first and my second and my third. Um, but one thing also that it helped change is I realized that since now I'm like the veteran mom and um, all my friends are now having babies, it's, I wanted to be that resource for them. 
Um, so that's one thing that I really strive to do, whether I, whether they're a good friend or it's just somebody who I went to school with in elementary school, when I know somebody's had a baby, like I just make sure to reach out and just say, Hey, how are you? And just praise them and say, you are doing an amazing job. Cause it's not easy, but what you did is miraculous and it is amazing and it is beautiful and it is messy. <laughs> um, and it is exhausting, but it's such an amazing gift to be able to be a mom in whatever aspect that is, whether you can have children or adopt children, or if you're trying, I mean, it's just such an amazing gift. Um, and if you're on that journey, just being able to even be that resource to those friends who I know are trying or to those friends who I know had a baby and they're struggling. Um, so that's one thing that I strive to do because it's important because that one person might not have somebody like I was, like I had nobody, right? And so I wanna be that somebody to somebody who might need it. I think that's a beautiful call to action because I try to do that, but I probably could do it more because we are at that age where a lot of our peers are having children for the first time just to check on people, even if you don't know them, if you just see someone who just had a baby on Facebook, maybe you haven't talked to them in years, just to send that message because that might be exactly what someone needs. Yeah. So you touched on how it changed you as a mom, but what about as a wife in your marriage? Certainly that first baby was really hard on your marriage. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we learned, and and I think our relationship was has been in a different phase you know, every time we had a child. So we were, you know, one year into marriage when we had Mary Kate. Um, and not to say we had a bad marriage, but we were still young and we were still figuring each other, each other out. You know, even though we'd been dating for four years prior, like we, we there was still a lot that we had to learn. And so, um, you know, with the other two, just realizing that we're a team and, you know, I remember like, I didn't even want him to like hold her because like, he's not doing it right. Like she's still crying. If I held her, I would just put her to sleep, right? So learning that you have to let go and you have to be a team. Um, so I definitely did that much different is, you know, it's not just me, the mom. And even though he's busy and he had to leave, like, no, when he's present, make sure he's present and don't, don't hold it against him that he has a job that has a lot of time that's required of him. Because if he had the choice, he would be there every minute, but but that's not the way it was with, with his career. So definitely change that outlook. Um, and that's with anything in life, not just with having babies, just realizing that when he's here, um, it's okay to let him do the dishes and put them away, even though if it's not the right spot or, you know, you're not putting the laundry in the right place. Like it's okay because <laughs> he's helping you out. So no, but it, it's true. This is something that I work on and it's going to be something I probably work on the rest of my life, my marriage, but healthy ways to communicate what you need. And I think yeah. it's so much harder, it's so much easier said than done, right? Yeah. Like you want someone to change, they're your partner. I mean, you have a right to voice your opinion, but how you do that in a healthy way where it doesn't come off aggressive mm -hmm. or accusatory, have you guys found any healthy ways to communicate your needs, especially in, as it relates to motherhood? Yeah, I, I just think, I think exactly right is how you communicate and the tone you communicate is really key. You know, everybody has bad days, but you can say, you know, ask him to do something, but the tone of your voice or how you ask it or how many times you ask it, um, that all matters. So really going through it in that aspect. Um, one of my good friends, mom, she does a lot of awesome work about marriage. And so some of like, one of the greatest things that she does is like, she just praises her husband. And so that's one thing too, is not just asking for help, but like praise him for when he does help, like, you know, really appreciate him and show him like, wow, thank you so much for doing that. And 
and be genuine about it. And with that, the communication comes right alongside. Even if it's wrong then? I mean, there's ways around it to communicate, but you still praise them. Like, thank you for even doing that. But, you know, this is, you know. I see, that's, I found a lot of success in that, but AJ's like kind of caught on to it. Like I always start with a compliment. Like yeah. A genuine compliment. Yeah. And so, but AJ's, you know, he's, he knows how I move now. So I'll be like, you know, I really appreciate that you took that trash can out. And he'll be like, but. But. I'll be like, but there's three of them. So go get the other two. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, but they're not full. I'm like, they're still trashing them. Go get them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but that's something in marriage. And I think that to bring it full circle, the expectations that you had of motherhood where you felt disappointed were very similar to the expectations a lot of us have about marriage. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that marriage is more work for longer because you guys are gonna go through phase, but I guess childhood the same way, your kid's gonna grow up, have different phases, and how do you mom through that? How do you dad through that? Yeah. Both of those things, I don't think any of us are adequately prepared for, and I think marriage, you can just leave, right? And that's why divorce rate is so high, whereas motherhood is not, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. So I think healthy ways of communicating is where I've spent a large part, even with my kids, like I've talked about this in other, other episodes, but I have worked really hard at working on communicating in my marriage with counseling. We've gone to marriage counseling. We both have had separate counselors or therapists, but those sessions have also taught me how to be really good at communicating with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you can never lose by working on how you communicate because you owe that to the people around you and you owe that to yourself to learn how to be accountable and communicate that accountability. I think that this was an amazing episode, though, because I have not had someone come on and go really deep into a C-section, and I haven't had one, so I didn't realize that you had to stay in the hospital for so many days after. Yeah, I think it's just another extra day or two. Uh, I was like so four. I think it was. It depends on what time, but I think I was like three or four. She was jaundiced. We had to stay an extra day or something like that. But oh. um, it's like 24 hours with vaginal, and I think it's like 48 or 72 with C-section. That's not as long as I thought. No, no. It felt That's like forever. Are you okay if people have questions if they reach out to you? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, that that's one thing that, again, I would just love to be that resource or even if it's not a question, just to know that there's a mom friend who can be there to support or lift you up or maybe you just want to cry and, you know, it's weird to a stranger, but sometimes somebody needs that. Um, I remember going on like random chats and just talking to strange moms about wanting to quit breastfeeding and like everybody praising me and like, it's okay. Oh and I'm gosh. just boo-hoo crying. And I'm like, I don't even know these people. Like I'm in some- The dark corners company. of the internet that I ended up on. Yeah. I guess I ended up in so many Reddit threads when I was like, right after I, because you want to quit breastfeeding, but like you're scared to talk to like your mom about it. Yeah. So I'm like talking to strangers. I'm like, I don't want to ship my formula from Germany. I just want to put her on Cinelac and call it a day. Like, I just yep. want to think, like, yeah, it's fine. But every once in a while, you get some troll that's like, don't do that. You yeah. suck. And it just yeah. <laughs> feeds into the fire. Yeah. What is your preferred method of contact? Um, They can reach me on Instagram. Um, That's a that's an easy place. Um, Marcus? What's your username? Oh, oh I guess. It's. I need to look it up. It's call. What is it? It's C O L L dot Thomas 312. Call dot Thomas 312. 
and we'll make sure we tag you in that there. Thank you so much for yeah. coming on. I remember when I first asked you, you were kind of like, uh, I don't know. It kind of seems a little scary. I wanted through. to, but I was like, well, what's something that people like, not to say I didn't have any failures, but what's something that somebody want to hear about? Like they don't care about, you know, my chemical engineering and I'm at first class. I failed like that's cool. Right. Like, but like maybe, <laughs> nah. but this hit me <laughs> one day and I was out of the blue. I was, I don't even know what it was. And I like Matthew was like, Kendall, I know exactly what I want to talk about now. So. And this is a good one. This is a good one because I think that it was, it's not like a post on some mom Facebook page. It's an actual conversation where we talk about the nitty gritty. And I can talk about this all day because yeah. it took me off guard, especially breastfeeding. Like that shit, I still have PTSD from breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I'm so proud of you for breastfeeding for a year. Right? And it's, but that's one thing is every pregnancy is different. Every baby's different and every experience is different. They're all beautiful in its own way. Um, and obviously you learn from your first and it makes the others easier. But that, that was one thing I was like, wow. Like I was shocked at this. I remember randomly being like, wow, you're still breastfeeding. Like you're still doing it. Like, yeah. Like, it was shocking. I'm doing, it. <laughs> doing this. And then I was determined to make it to a year and I'm like, all right, we did it. And then when the year hit, it's like, again, boohoo crying, like I'm done. Like this is so beautiful. Like such a bond. Gosh, I cry a lot of parents. experience that. So do I, but it's a beautiful thing. And, yeah. um, I want to thank you for coming on and I appreciate you and I will text you and I would say, let's make a goal to reach out to three new moms this week. Yes. Just I love it. How great they are. I love it. One thing I know we're tend to wrap up, but one thing is that I have fine. started to pay it forward as I've done a mom coffee Monday. So to pay it forward and show appreciation for moms. Um, every Monday I choose one mom who I see on Instagram who might've posted something about their baby, you know, blowing out his diaper or whatever. And I just send a gift card and just say happy mom coffee Monday. So I've been doing that for almost a year. So that's one thing too, that I learned is just to pay it forward and show appreciation because moms deserve it. They do. Oh my God. I'm going to do that too. So that's a good challenge too. Day. I mean, not that you have to do monetary, but you know, even just reaching out to a mom, but just buying a mom a coffee and saying, Hey, you're doing a great job and you deserve a cup of coffee on me. So there's only one day that starts with an M. So I have to find something other than <laughs> coffee. Mom wine Monday. That doesn't sound good. Wine Wednesday. <laughs> mom wine Wednesday. Oh, that one works too. Don't take it. You keep the coffee. <laughs> Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of Failure Friday. We are so thankful for all the viewers we've had recently and huge shout out to Colleen. I'm going to tag her and you guys can reach out to her if you have any questions and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much.